I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Happy birthday, Kiki! Ah, thank you, Tuesday. It is Kiki's birthday. <sighs> so, um, now you're forty. How's that doing? Uh, doing for you? Uh, feels much like thirty-nine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't and... know. It's just a day different. Let me get a few days into it, and we'll see. We'll see. All right, uh, since this is Kiki's birthday, she gets to pick the movie that we're going to talk about today. And you have picked George of the Jungle, the 1997 film based off the 1967 cartoon uh, by Jay Ward. Uh, Jay Ward, of course, the creator of Rocky and Bullwinkle, um, Peabody and Sherman, and those kind of cartoons like fractured fairy tales super chicken you know them i see yeah i i i I was a big jay ward fan (laughs) when when i was a kid mostly the the rocky and bowinkle cartoons although i did watch a lot of george of the jungle yeah um they there used to be when we were kids um i don't really remember what what channel it came on. I don't know if it was like Nickelodeon or, or maybe Cartoon Network or something. Um, but some channel used to have kind of a J Ward block that they would play. Um, so they would play a lot of the uh, Rocky and Bowwinkle, Dudley Do Right, George of the Jungle, uh, you know, all, all those uh, mm-hmm. cartoons. And I was quite fond of them because their humor was much more intelligent than you thought at first glance. <laughs> yeah, it 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 was adult level of of uh, humor, but still something that a kid could enjoy. Yeah, the visuals were very kid-level humor. It was very slapstick, um, very goofy sound effects. But if you actually listened to the words, um, the things the narrator was saying, um, very much a how how much can we get past the censors? And also how many... Vaguely disguised pop culture references for the time. So, like, if oh. you're uh, if you're us watching these in the '80s, there are references that are, we're not gonna get because those are pure '60s references. Unless you're me, who was bizarrely stuck in the '60s during the '80s. I was an only child, and I wasn't really around a lot of people my own age. Um, I hung around adults, and the adults I hung around made jokes from the 60s. So all of my cultural references were from the adults I was around. So 
I knew the jokes that were coming through on the Jay Ward cartoons better than I knew the jokes that were coming through on some of the cartoons that were aimed at kids our age at the time. Uh, so it was it was strangely targeted exactly at me and my humor in a way that a, a lot of um, things that were supposed to be targeted at the the 80s kids were were not hitting me in the same way, I guess. Uh, so I have a great love for for this style of comedy. Um, and during the 90s, the Jay Ward properties got a live action revival we got some uh rocky a live action rocky and bowinkle hey technically that was boris and natasha boris you are so bad you are so bad you are good it's good to be bad (laughs) well yeah you and i are the only two that remember that movie Plus, I am, I am, I have a great love of Boris and Natasha as well. I mean, you know, Natasha Fatal was goals for me as a kid. I, I absolutely loved Natasha. Um, and uh, so we got that, and we got uh, a, a Dudley Do Right, also with Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Um, and we got George of the Jungle. Um, so. There was a really interesting J. Ward revival, and this was part of it. This one was fun for for me as a kid. Uh, let's see how old how old would we have been when this came out? Uh, so July of ninety seven. Sixteen. So yeah, um, so, somewhere in the we should have been too old and too cool for this, but I was always the dorky person who never had that too cool for this face. So this was me too. <laughs> this was very much a like Brendan Fraser is going to be George of the Jungle. Please sign me up for that. Also, um, Brendan Fraser was kind of in a he was kind of the it star at the time. A lot of people will go to like the Mummy, but. He was kind of the star of comedies, like Encino Man and stuff like that. Well, the interesting thing is, is that this was one of his breakthrough films. I think this may have been his first really big box office hit. Because it was with the biggest, I mean, this is Disney. And they're picking him to be the lead in their movie. He had done Encino Man before this. That was kind of the first um thing that people had seen him in and he was if you've never seen Encino Man it's a couple of uh stoners yeah a couple of stoner kids find a caveman frozen in ice while I think they're digging out a pool or something in their backyard yeah and uh that caveman is Brendan Fraser and they have to um you know take a caveman and show him modern day but the weird thing is is that he ended up having another film success that same year as Encino Man which was the entirely opposite end of the film spectrum uh which was a film called School Ties which I saw 
basically the same year. I mean, I saw them both right when they came out, um, which was uh, Brendan Fraser uh, playing a Jewish kid who gets sent to a really preppy upper class boarding school full of basically, you know, white supremacist kids who do not like that there is a Jewish guy in their school and do everything they can to convince him to leave. And it is very dramatic and very harrowing. Uh, And it stars a number of people who would, within the next couple of years, go on to be huge stars. Um, Chris O'Donnell is in it. Matt Damon is in it. There's, there's, oh, there's like six different people in there that within the next couple of years would be the biggest box office draws. And Brendan Fraser was kind of the first one to hit it big of all of the guys. And you fast forward one year and you get a similar movie with, with honors. And then you have airheads. Yeah. Which is. Him and Adam Sandler and who else was – who's the third one in that? Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, yeah. As a um, rock band. And they're – yeah, they're like a a grunge band or something? They're a rock band who <laughs> tries to get their album played on the radio, so they – They kidnap a – The DJ. A and, DJ and board uh, themselves inside of a studio. I think, yeah. yeah. It's been ages since I've seen that one. So, yeah, he keeps bouncing back and forth between these really dramatic parts and then these, like, absolutely brainless, meathead kind of roles. Yeah, and then the, the same year he does George of the Jungle, he does Twilight for the Golds. So it's that he keeps on going drama, comedy, drama, comedy, drama, comedy. And it was so good for his career. I mean, it was it was a brilliant move. I don't know if it was super intentional or he just kind of did what what his agent brought to him. But wow, did it work because Brendan Fraser became the biggest star on the planet in the in the early 90s. And again, he to to kind of go through this again, we go to. Fast forward past this movie to 99, he does Blast from the Past, which is a comedy about a kid being raised in a fallout shelter. And that's the same year that The Mummy comes out, which really blasts him into into the stratosphere. Yeah, I honestly, if we could be talking about The Mummy right now, we'd be talking about The Mummy. Let's Mm -hmm. just be honest with ourselves. If Disney owned The Mummy, this would be an episode about The Mummy. I love Blast from the Past as well. I mean, most of the movies we've talked about are, like, I really love them. Mm-hmm. They're they're great. I am a huge Brendan Fraser fan. Um, and one of the reasons that I chose this film for my birthday episode is because we are going through the Renaissance right now. Yeah. Um, he's kind of getting this career resurgence that kind of started with uh, Doom Patrol, I think. Let's be honest. He had... Um, this huge bit with uh, the Mummy films, and uh, then he he also went and he did a bunch of television. Like, he was on Scrubs for a while, 
as a guest star, and if you've never seen his arc on Scrubs as a guest star and know where that storyline goes, I will not spoil it for you, but that is an emotional roller coaster that you need you need to experience. Like, you need to go on that ride unspoiled. And, it is know, amazing. A, a really great Looney Tunes movie that nobody saw. Oh, yes. Looney Tunes Back in Action is possibly the best L- Looney Tunes film. Like, I, I'm not going to hate on the original Space Jam, but Looney Tunes Back in Action is far and away my my favorite of that style. Um, in which he plays himself. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, he does at the end of the film, but for most of the film, he plays Brendan Fraser's stunt double. <laughs> he plays a character who is not Brendan Fraser, but he is the stunt double of Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. So people keep asking him, like, hey, are you Brendan Fraser? And he goes, no, I'm the stunt double. I'm the guy they got because I look kind of like Brendan Fraser. I'm his stunt double. But at the end of the film, you know, spoiler alert, he actually gets to meet Brendan Fraser and punches himself in the face. Um, but well, that's therapy right there. <laughs> he said it that it actually was because at that point in his career, he was really hating the idea of fame. And that was kind of one of the the last things he did before really dropping away as a huge star. And he had a point in his career where he never stopped acting. It wasn't like he became a recluse. Some stars, they get to a point and then they just retire. He never did that. He he has continued acting for his entire career. But um, he did kind of drop more out of the public eye. You, you know, it is kind of sad because he suffered some personal trauma um he had his own me too moment i'll i'll leave it at that um it's out there if you want to read it he has been open about his story not to mention Um, he's had a couple of injuries doing these action movies yeah the mummy movies really did take a huge toll on his body he said by the time he did the final uh film in the mummy series that he appeared in he was under his costume was mostly um Ice packs, uh, athletic tape, braces, just he said he was basically uh, a suit underneath his costume just to hold his body together through filming. Um, Afterwards, he had to have multiple surgeries to repair his body. Some of them he had to have multiple times because the first surgery didn't take. It really, it really did do a number on him, unfortunately. So he stepped away, especially from the big uh, action roles, uh, because of that, because of some personal reasons. Uh, he had a, a very, unfortunately, contentious divorce. But he mostly focused for uh, the past, you know, decade or so. He's been really focused on being a father. He has three sons. And he spends a lot of time with them. And uh, he's got uh, some horses that he bought for therapy for one of his sons. He has a son who uh, is on the autism spectrum. And so he bought uh, therapy horses for his sons. And then he discovered that 
being around the horses was good therapy for him too. And so he is he and his uh, oldest son spend a lot of time around the horses for therapy for the both of them. Which um, is which says a lot concerning a, one scene in this movie. Yeah, and when I saw that scene in the film, I had forgotten that scene was in in this film. We'll get to it, but I I thought, "Oh man, that really did kind of foreshadow where he he ended up." Um but yeah, he he focuses on his children now. He focuses on photography. Um, in fact, if you watch through, um, his films, he uses a lot of, um, instant cameras in his films. And a lot of them are usually very strange cameras that you don't see. And it turns out that a lot of them are from his personal collection and he works them into the movies so that his characters can use them. And he keeps a lot of, uh, uh, photos, um, and there are books on photography that even have like uh, dedications to him and stuff uh, because of that. Uh, so he's well known in the uh, type of community that loves those those sort of um, instant uh, cameras uh, because he's he's just well known for it. Um, so he he we've got the uh, the so-called Renaissance now. Um, he started uh, with uh, Cliff Steele, who is Robot Man in the Titans series, um, and then they spun it off into the Doom Patrol. That That is, uh, I haven't seen all of Doom Patrol. I watched the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, really good, really good stuff. Um, also, Alan Tudyk is in that, and you know how much I love Alan Tudyk. So mm-hmm. he also showed up in recently in uh the a mini series called Trust um which was about the Getty family um and he plays one of the major characters in there uh he's got a couple of major upcoming roles uh just in this year or next year um He's going to be in a movie for Darren Aronofsky called The Whale, uh, in which he is going to portray a, a man who weighs 600 pounds, I believe. Uh, he's also going to be working with Martin Scorsese in a film called uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, and he's also going to be in a film called uh, Brothers that is going to be a comedy. But I absolutely have been loving this because for a while people had thought of him as a joke. And that really made me sad because he has long been one of my favorite actors. And I really admired the range that he had because as we talked about he kept bouncing around in those early years from the kind of you know georgia the the jungle is mostly just him in a loincloth making really doofy jokes um and then but in that same year you know he does all these massively dramatic roles and i always thought that that level of range and commitment was very interesting um, and you didn't see a lot of actors who were capable of doing both, but also were allowed to do both and were interested in doing both. Mm-hmm. So I always found him very fascinating 
during his early career. And I'm glad that he's gone in the public eye from that guy who always took his shirt off. Um, and whatever happened to him and maybe where two people our age who kind of grew up with him are now in the position to go like, Hey, can we please revisit him and how, um, awesome he is and how awesome he always was. Like Brendan Fraser didn't just become awesome. Brendan Fraser was always awesome. Please get on board the train that we have been on since the early 90s. Thank you. <laughs> so, and uh, one last thing. There was always one thing I remember uh, from his uh, time as a, as a huge star. And it was a weird little um, commercial he did for Comedy Central. Hi, I'm Brendan Fraser. You're watching Comedy Central. That's Fraser, not Frazier. If you say Frazier, I know where you live. <laughs> oh, God, Brendan Fraser's going to kill me. <laughs> and so because of that, I have, uh, I have spent uh, the last 20 years uh, making sure I pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> so I will, he will not find me and kill me. <laughs> So before we keep I'm, going, I'm perfectly okay with Brendan Fraser finding me. I, I do, I do not want the death though. Thank you. <laughs> so before we keep going, there is, let's talk for a bit, a brief second, a brief second about another jungle man, because uh, Brendan here auditioned to play Tarzan in Disney's Tarzan before getting the role of George. So we've talked about. The 99 Tarzan movie. And that's a big question. Why Disney would make an animated Tarzan movie at the same time as making a live-action Tarzan-like movie? Because Disney likes money. I don't know why this is a... Uh, but here's the thing. I'll tell you exactly why Brendan Fraser plays George of the Jungle and Tony Goldwyn plays uh, Tarzan. Hmm. Have you seen a picture of Tony Goldwyn? He's he's the guy that played the president on that uh, Shondaland TV series. Mm. He's tall, he's skinny, he looks very presidential. Brendan Fraser was built like Brendan Fraser in the 90s. That's the reason why Brendan Fraser is George of the Jungle in live action and Tony Goldwyn is Tarzan in a voice booth. I'm sorry, but there there you go. It's it's kind of interesting. The one thing um, that he said actually kind of hurt his feelings was that he was up for the part of Superman in a Superman film that never got made. It was just before uh, Looney Tunes back in action. It was kind of one of the reasons why he wanted to do that scene where he punched Brendan Fraser in the face. He was working through his feelings of like, well, you know, why why couldn't I get cast as Superman? Am I not buff enough? Am I not Clark Kentish enough? Am I not Supermanish enough? Am I, you know, what what is wrong with me? Am I not a big box office draw anymore? Am I not 
Um, he said that was the part that he lost out on that really hurt him. That one, I, I would have cast Brendan Fraser at the time as Superman. I think he could have pulled it off. Um, I think Brendan Fraser would have been a much better Clark Kent, to be honest, um, because Brendan Fraser is a... And we'll see it in, in George, that uh, Brendan Fraser has the ability to pull off a very kind... Uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. A very kind, non-toxic masculinity. Hmm. Uh, Let's talk about kind of who else is in this with him. Because it's kind of a who's who of people who were big in the 90s, but you don't see a lot of them now. As Ursula, his love interest, we have Leslie Mann. And Leslie Mann kind of was the love interest for... A lot of kind of weird sex comedy, stoner comedy, dude comedy kind of films. Big Daddy with Adam Sandler. Virgin with Steve Carell. Uh, she's a cable guy. But she's a little, a little sweeter and a little nicer in this film than she usually is in, in those other things, I think. Thomas Hayden Church is our as one of our two main villains in this at least from george's perspective i don't know we get a lot of villains in this film don't we some out of some completely out of nowhere yeah some kind of come out of nowhere some we follow for the whole film but i guess our primary villain thomas a church plays lyle um the uh guys he travels with yeah uh, he's expected to be her fiance. Ursula seems less interested in that arrangement. Most recently, I guess you'd say he was Sandman in Spider-Man 3. That was the the final of the Raimi Spider-Mans. Yeah. But in the 90s, he was still the guy from Wings. Um, but he also went on to star in Ned and Stacy. But he was everywhere in the 90s. And then we. Uh, have the legendary John Cleese as the uh, voice Ape Ape. <laughs> of, yeah, as the voice of Ape Named Ape. We have an interesting one in Abraham Ben Ruby as one of our two poachers that show up. There's the one that looks like the 50s greaser. He's the other guy. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing is in the 90s, he was known for his role on ER. I will always know him from Parker Lewis Can't Lose. He was like the bully. <laughs> yeah, I never saw Parker Lewis Can't Lose, so I don't know. He does a lot of voice acting now. Uh, he works a lot for Robot Chicken, and he did a lot of voices for uh, World of Warcraft. But once again, he was everywhere in the 90s, and now you just kind of, you know, he, he pops up now and then, and you go like, oh, wow, uh, hey, man. <laughs> Where you been? We have Holland Taylor, the great Holland Taylor, showing up as Ur- Ursula's mom. Holland Taylor's been another one that's kind of had a resurgence lately. Uh, she has been uh, kind of everywhere recently because she's started doing uh, things since she came out as a lesbian that uh, more kind of uh, fit into the um, LGBT community. 
so she had um, done a big stint on the show The L Word, for instance, and stuff like that. Recently, she married uh, Sarah Paulson, who uh, is kind of best known for her work on uh, American Horror Story and stuff like that. So, yay! Holland Taylor, uh, interestingly, one of the Stranger Disney connections would be that uh, she came back and did uh, the love interest of the Grand Duke in Cinderella 2 and Cinderella 3, A Twist in Time. (laughs) Cinderella 3, I'm going to be honest, is one of the better direct-to-video sequels, and hopefully we can get to that one day. (laughs) Yeah, that's what everybody says, but I haven't gotten around to watching it yet, so I really should. Um, As our snarky narrator, um, which is always the best part of the Jay Ward shows, so I love that this movie keeps it, um, we have Keith Scott, who is a voice actor, who honestly... um, It's him, it's Keith doing a Paul Freese impression, but he gets the the uh the cadence down perfectly and keith scott also does the voice now of um bowinkle and uh boris badenoff and fearless leader um as well so um you know he's he's one of those that you know has taken up the mantle for a lot of the the jay ward stuff and, of course, we have a lot of animals in this movie, and you know what that means. Frank Welker, he is your childhood. He is all animals everywhere. Love him. Respect him. All right, so it's now time to get into this. Let's talk about that defender of the innocent, protector of the weak, and all-around good guy, George of the Jungle. This opening sequence, it's full animated opening sequence. It's close enough to the J Ward style that I'm not too mad about it. I am I I'm gonna say I'm a little mad about it. Alright. They they could have they could have done better on the animation. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ding them too bad. I'm glad they tried. Um but J the J Ward animation style is such a specific style. I wish they'd have gone a little more into it. I will say the other thing I'm going to ding them on is that the audio mixing. I don't know what what's what this is, but the audio mixing for the theme song, not very good. And I'm a person who has some audio processing issues. So, uh... This is a brilliant cover of the theme song. You want to talk about this for just half a second? Presidents of the United States of America. Mad yep. respect. They rock this Six Ways from Sunday. Love it. Love it. Love it. But in the sound mix that is on Disney+, Plus. It is very hard to hear over the sound effects that are playing. And they caption the sound effects in the closed caption. It'll say like, you know, bonk or crash or whatever. They do not caption the lyrics to this song. At no point do they caption the lyrics to this song. That's uh, that's unfortunate. 
it is very unfortunate and they need to change it because the lyrics to the song are great. It is a really catchy tune and I have always liked this theme song. But we've got uh, we've got the traditional uh, Tarzan conceit of, you know, rich white people going into the jungle to find something, you know, in this case, it's the legendary great white ape. We have our explorer, Ursula. Uh, she told Jane. I'll give Ursula something that Jane uh, didn't have. Was that Jane was the daughter of a explorer or whatever who seemed interested herself but was not the instigator of... Ursula just seems to be a woman who just decided to hire some guides and go there herself because she wanted to. If you've got the money. And she does. She is uh, an heiress to a banking fortune, uh, as we see through through the movie. Um, but um, we, we kind of skipped over the, the point of the or- opening sequence, which is that George ends up in the jungle basically the same way Tarzan ends up in the jungle. There is a plane crash, and he is the only survivor, I guess, and he is raised by an ape, a talking gorilla who is just named Ape. Anyway, um, 25 years later. <laughs> I do like that 25 years later part. We do get a nice uh, camera effect from George's point of view swinging through the trees. Before he smacks into one, yeah. He is unconscious, which is full Jay Ward-style comedy. Ursula has skipped off to Uganda. Uh, She has a guide named Kwame, who I totally blank. How could I? How could I blank on this? Uh, In the actor rundown, Kwame is, of course, the legend himself. He is a bad mother. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about Richard Roundtree. Yeah, it is Shaft himself Mm. playing Kwame, Ursula's guide through the Ugandan jungle. Um, But yeah, uh, he uh, he tell he's he's helping her out. And the thing is, is that there's a lot of ways they could. They could go with this because let's face it, you know, rich white people stomping through the jungle looking for uh, animals and whatnot never tends to go well. But Ursula just seems to be there to take video footage of the animals and otherwise leave them be. But really, she's in the jungle because it's the furthest away she can get from her fiance, Lyle, who just happens to show up. (laughs) Yeah, or so she thought. With a group of men who seem to be the only people willing to come with him. But they hate him because he's Lyle. Well, they are paying him, so they kind of have to do what he says. But, yeah, they just hate him because he's a, he's a Richard. Yeah. And now Lyle, the ultimate Richard. Yeah. So he wants to take uh, Ursula away, away from the jungle, away from this... You know, let's go back to the hotel. They have pillows there. Let's go back to the to America where there's civilization. And not understanding that Ursula really likes it out here. She likes photographing nature. Lyle immediately gets out there and just starts being super racist. Or as racist as um, you can get Disney in the 90s would let him be. He is 
the prototypical stupid American. The entire um, point of Lyle is to be rich and awful and racist to everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, bravo to Thomas Hayden Church. She pulls it off wonderfully. And it makes you really sad when the narrator says, don't worry, no one dies in this movie. And you're like, oh, really? <laughs> they just get really big boo-boos. That is a very Jay Wardish comedy bit right there. Like, well, we can't kill anyone because we got to keep our G rating. <laughs> it, it really, it really, really is. Um, This, this movie, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This movie nails the Jay Ward comedy style perfectly. Especially the 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 few adult jokes that are in this movie. Uh, the few. This movie is adult joke after adult joke. I was so shocked at how many jokes about genitals there were in this movie. We'll get to them. We'll get to them. The, of course, um, there's, there's our there's our main thing is that uh, is uh, Lyle carries a gun lighter. And, yes, you know, we, we have to mention that there is a gun-shaped, a small pistol-shaped lighter that he carries um, to light his very cigars. annoying, offensive cigars that make everybody around him cough. Lyle shows the cutting-edge technology of a Polaroid camera because he thinks these are all jungle people who've never seen modern technology. And then uh, one of the one of the guys just pulls out a high-end 35 millimeter camera thing yeah your camera's fine but my camera's better <laughs> yeah one one of the most uh kind of racist things he does at this point is he's like look magic fire magic picture take it you know like magic painting box or however he describes it I'm like dude these guys drove up here in a jeep I, I think they're familiar with lighters and cameras and everything. And of course, the whole joke is that there's just three African guys that just sit around making fun of the the rich American dude in Swahili, and they caption it the whole time yeah. so that you understand what the African guys are saying in Swahili. So after getting thoroughly embarrassed, Lyle grabs Ursula, saying, "You want a white ape? We're gonna go find the white ape." And Mitz gets. I do like the I do like the scene of Richard Roundtree telling the story of the white ape mm-hmm. and making it sound like, you know, like this really interesting, like cryptid Bigfoot kind of thing. You know, they they say the white ape stalks the land and he is the biggest and strongest and he will kill anything that comes to, you know, um, and then and then you just like. uh flashback to like you know george doing something silly or whatever yeah spoiler alert the white ape is george yeah so anyway well the thing is that's not really a spoiler because even as he's telling the story the story lampshades that really fast that like you we know this is george you know so uh yeah lyle takes uh ursula to go off just to uh, let's find this white ape and get out of here face to face with a lion uh lyle ever the brave and true and manly man bravely runs away trips on a tree root and gets knocked out leaving the lion to 
uh, go after Ursula. But then here comes good guy George to have his daily wrestling match with his friend the lion. People make fun of me uh, saying that, you know, my my love of, of animals is so great that I have absolutely no uh, self-preservation instinct around animals. And that if I ever met a lion, the first thing I would do would be like, oh, you're kitty, 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 kitty. And that is the first thing that George does coming out of the jungle is he just goes like, oh, kitty, 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 kitty. And, I'll, and I told uh, my friend who watches these movies with me, I said, see, that is the appropriate greeting for a lion. King of the jungle walks out, sees a lion and goes, kitty, 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 kitty. And we have a full on WWE wrestling match as George bounces off the rubber tree, hits the clothesline. Airplane spin, my only complaint, that is not a pile driver, George. That is an elbow drop. Yeah, yeah. But in fairness to George, I don't think they get pay-per-view in the jungle. I mean, this is, uh, was it? Yeah, this is 1997 at the height of WWF Attitude Era. So, of course, we're going to put a wrestling reference in, in, in their kids movie. The thing that I love is that George swings in um, and you hear his approach. And then I love the moment just before he hits the tree when uh, Ursula kind of goes, watch out for that tree. You know, Uh, when the lion cringes because he knows that George is about to whack into the tree. (laughs) I I don't know if that's an animatronic or CG onto the real lion. Well, a lot of the animal effects um, were um, animatronic done by Henson. Mm. Um, So I don't actually know. Um, A lot of the a lot of the lion fight was puppetry. And now you can you can kind of tell now with high quality TV which is the real lion and which is the puppet lion. And very obvious CG on the airplane spin. Well, yeah. Um, the CG does not hold up. It's very easy to tell um, with the animals, and especially later when we get to Shep. The CG in the film does not hold up. But I'll tell you, we've talked about this every time we've talked about anything Henson worked on. Man, those Henson puppets hold up decade after decade. Let me tell you, all the puppetry work holds up really well. Um, and the practical effects hold up um, in general, but 90 CG, mm, not the best. Yeah. So after the, uh, the lion fight, George scoops up Ursula and they're swinging away. Of course, uh, another watch out for that tree moment, but this time, Ursula gets hit and she's knocked unconscious. Oops. We we do get back to the uh, he does take her back to his to his treehouse, but um, there is a moment here that unless you're a really good uh, George of the Jungle fan, you're gonna miss this one. As he constantly refers to Ursula as fella. Now, if you know the George of the Jungle theme song. It goes, then away you slip on this elephant ship while fella and Ursula stay in step. Which shows two Ursulas at uh, kind of with, with George. Yeah, um, it is 
it is a really good callback um, to the show. Uh, and also because George has never seen a female of his own species before. He's never seen any of those. Um, well, yeah, he has seen him. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, they, they do get into that, you know, as as, as the, movie the, the movie goes on. So as this is happening, Lyle regains consciousness and just sees what he believes to be the white ape taking Ursula away. So, um, brave, big, massive, manly man Lyle uh, rips his clothes up and squishes berries onto his body to assimilate blood and saying, it was a big drag out fight and the white ape beat me up and took my girlfriend. He's 400 pounds and eight feet tall. We have to, I have to get reinforcements. And you see all the other animals going, oh, oh Lord, he's really going to do this. <laughs> I love the little capuchin monkey that's like, really? That's the story you're going with? Okay, dude, sure, whatever. <laughs> I just love that even the animals can see through the BS. <laughs> well, again, the answer to that, that is pure J. Ward comedy. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that the um, the guides, when he makes it back, the guides also see immediately through the BS. The thing is, is that Ursula is still alone in the jungle. And Ursula is a very nice woman who might get lost. Whatever has happened to her... They still need to find her. And even though the guides don't believe this story for one second, they're not going to leave a woman alone in the jungle. So, yeah. So, uh, you know, they get all their uh, their equipment together to go hunt down possibly the white ape, even though I don't think they really believe that he saw the white ape, but mostly just to find Ursula because she is lost in the jungle. We've got the, the treehouse, which is so adorable. I love the design of the treehouse. Yeah, Ursula uh, wait, awakens, he's, uh, but is immediately freaked out over the ape name Ape speaking. And with, wearing glasses and yeah. reading a medical textbook. <laughs> so Ape decides, okay, uh, to, to make sure this lady doesn't freak out, I'm just going to act like a regular ape and uh, not try to give this lady a heart attack. <laughs> and I love how not into this ruse Ape is during that every time ursula walks by he stops talking to george and goes like oh yes ooh 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 <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> great on john cleese doing that though <laughs> this is a very sweet um courtship that they play out in the treehouse as lyle is coming for ursula with the guides and the poachers and, you know, um, we keep cutting back, reminding us that the danger is approaching, but most of this section of the movie is just the adorable little courtship between George and Ursula as George realizes, Oh, this, this is, this is a female of my species and perhaps I could have a mate. George has never thought that George could have a mate before. And George asks, um, ape, how, how does George get Ursula to be George's mate? Which of course gets very interesting because ape only knows gorilla mating rituals. (laughs) 
So he goes through the whole gorilla mating ritual saying, okay, you got to puff up your lips. You got to throw some some leaves around and stomp around and uh, beat on your chest. It's it's a very adorable thing. And I think the thing I like most about it is that Brendan Fraser acts this out fully, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, there's a scene later in the movie where uh, not too long after, after this uh, in, in the courtship where, the the animals are playing bongos and there's music and stuff and George asks Ursula to dance with him and Ursula says I I would be embarrassed and George doesn't understand the concept of embarrassment she says well you know it's when you think other people might see you and they might judge you or make fun of you or you might feel silly or stupid in front of them. And George is baffled by the concept because George says, but there's never been anybody else around. You know, it's just George. You know Some, sometimes George smacks into a tree. Sometimes George falls off treehouse. Sometimes George looks st- silly, but it doesn't matter because it's just George, you know? Yeah. There's, there's no one to be, there's no one around to be embarrassed in front of. Yeah. And I realized kind of in that moment, what I love so much about Brendan Fraser's portrayal of not just George, but of all the characters of this type that he plays mm-hmm. because Brendan Fraser was kind of, best known at this time for playing (sighs) I kind of love and hate this term because it comes from a really sexist term but I kind of also like the term because it's so perfect in what it describes Brendan Fraser was kind of the ultimate himbo he was really good at playing these characters who were not terribly intelligent but were incredibly kind. And so George was one of those. And the thing about all these characters and the reason why so many people are not that great at playing them, especially men, is because I think men of a certain generation too are so afraid of being embarrassed and being mocked and looking stupid for lack of a better word. And Brendan Fraser, in all of his portrayals, gave himself to these roles and didn't care if you laughed at the character, because it it wasn't really him, you know, that's part of being an actor, you know. He didn't care if his face looked goofy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I loved that about him. And I realized that I wouldn't see somebody give themselves completely to this kind of character until Chris Hemsworth in the 2016 Ghostbusters film. Chris Hemsworth as Kevin in the good Ghostbusters film was the next time I would see a guy so completely portray this kind of character. And I love this type of character because it's such a beautiful kind of um, non-toxic portrayal. And honestly, George is not, we say, she says that later in the movie, 
he's never had the benefit of like a formal education. So you would think that he's stupid. Um, but he's not unintelligent. He's actually incredibly smart in the way that he um, tricks villains and the way he interacts with um, animals. And, you know, he's very astute in a lot of ways. Um, he just also runs into trees a lot. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a great scene. And it, it, we've kind of passed that part. But I do want to go back to it for that one part. It's when. Uh, we first meet uh, Shep and, and, and Tukey Bird, and they're telling George that the little monkey is getting bullied by the other monkeys. And how he goes into that kindness of, you know, telling little monkey that, hey, just do this and you'll be okay. And bringing in the lion from earlier to take the fall for the little monkey so all the other monkeys think he's brave. Which, it sounds like that's something out of a Tarzan movie, but it doesn't really... Not literally not Disney's Tarzan. It just feels like a a, a real good guy moment that really uh, just shows overall the character of George. That is a scene that I liked as well, and that George constantly does things like that. Is that he's he's completely uninterested in proving that he's better than other people or stronger than other people i mean he is um if you see like the the big tree trunk that he lifts to throw to shep Mm. to play fetch you know george would be really good at a caber toss you know he's (laughs) just like he lifts this giant tree trunk and just hurls it for the elephant um and, you know, when he bends metal bars and mm. helping um, Ape later in the movie and stuff. I mean, George is obviously incredibly capable and all at a lot of things. That's not what he wants from life, you know? His entire motivation is just, I, I want to be friends with the animals. I want to have fun. The animals um, are my brothers. He calls Ape his brother. Yeah. Um, and he wants to help people. You know, we see it later in the movie with the, the paraglider. Yeah. You know, um, we see that he'll he'll do things that will be a personal risk to him because it will help somebody else. I don't know. I think that those things, even though the movie doesn't point to him and go like, see kids be like this guy, there is some kind of worth in showing that guy. You know, we have the whole scene of just showing how George lives, showing how he treats, uh, you know, Shep, his giant elephant who he treats like a dog, which I love. Tukey, who brings the news from all around the the jungle. Um, and, you know, finally he gets his, his dance with Ursula. But their kind of little bliss that they have here, unfortunately broken because Lyle and the poachers finally find them. They realize that Shep has ivory, but Ape 
uh, calls to yeah calls to Shep to run away. He spots the gun and says, "Run, Shep!" And they go, "Oh wait, the ape can talk. Let's let's shoot him with the tranquilizer gun. We'll take him to Vegas. We'll make a fortune." Lyle goes running for Ursula, and George goes running. Uh, for at this point, we we have to mention that. Lyle had given the the lighter gun, the the gun shaped lighter, to the uh, to to the uh, handlers to clean it because they say, oh, you, you know, the camera, the lens in your camera is dirty. Let me clean it. Oh yeah, clean the clean this too. So to get his lighter back, uh, the guide ha- also has a very small pistol that is an actual pistol, and accidentally gives it to Lyle, threatens him with it. And it turns out it's an actual gun. Even at the moment he fires the gun and a bullet goes off, Lyle is in instant regret because he... yeah, Lyle is terrified. He was like, "Oh no, no, no! That was I. I that was not supposed to happen. To stop! Yeah, yeah. I did. no. He never intended to kill George. He just wanted to threaten him so he'd go away so he can get Ursula. Yeah. Um. This is why we don't play with guns or gun-shaped things. Um, I do want I do want to backtrack a bit because um, there's a scene in this movie that's become a meme. Yes, we we do have to talk about the meme. So earlier in the movie, as this is happening, the 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 retreat the return of the gun to Lyle, he says, "I'm the richest. I'm the smartest. I should be at the front of the line rather than being at the back of the line." And ends up tripping and falling face first into Shep's poo. You know, because there's peanuts in it. Yeah. And then you get, uh, now is the part where we throw our heads back and laugh. Ready? Ready. (laughs) And that, the gif of that scene is just used over and over again for the last like 20 years on internet forums and on Twitter and on Facebook. Yeah, I I love that once again the J Ward type of humor is that that before the part that is used in the GIF, the longer scene is the the three guides explaining why that scene is funny. <laughs> like ah Yes, a rich white man falling in poop. That is a very old trope. It is very funny. <laughs> um, and I just love the, the three men explaining to the audience why Lyle falling into the, the giant pile of poop is uh, comedy gold. Um, and yeah, pure J. Ward style comedy. And yeah. The, the sheer number of fourth wall breaking in this movie. Again, yeah. for Jay Ward. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of points where you know characters talk to the narrator, and you know it's 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 really funny. Um, but or like or like earlier, like they looked at Eight Mountain with awe. Ah, not that awe. Ooh, better. But, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not awe. Awe. A W E. Oh, better. Yeah, that is one of my favorite jokes. Yeah, but uh, we're back to George being shot. And uh, fortunately, Ursula is incredibly rich and is able to immediately call in a private jet to take him 
back to where she lives in San Francisco uh, to get the best medical help in the world for his tiny boo-boo on his head. All we ever see is a very, very tiny bandage on his head. Well, George has to have a very hard head to keep hitting trees and not die. Also, um, the best teeth in the world because he keeps smacking face first into trees and has never once cracked a tooth. (laughs) Again, nobody dies in this movie. They just get boo-boos. Yeah. Um, But she takes him back to San Francisco and he is absolutely taken aback by what Ursula keeps calling a different kind of jungle. Ursula takes him up to her apartment on the 10th floor and he immediately says, wow, this is a great treehouse." He, he says he wants to sleep on the balcony because it makes him feel more at home. Although my, my friend pointed out that um, he, he would probably freeze at San Francisco 10 floors up <laughs> after being in the, the jungle in Uganda and the, the treehouse. But uh, yeah, eventually uh, Ursula calls her friend over to to tell him what's going on. Uh, you said you brought home a jungle man. Yeah, I got a. He's right here, and there comes George, um, all natural, showing off um, his vine. The the audience only ever sees his legs and chest because once again, Disney movie. But there's the adult joke of. Now I know why he's king of the jungle. Yeah. Um, she wants to and, go swinging on the vine. <laughs> and uh, Ursula is immediately like, we're going to grab you very large book. And we're going to grab this bowl from the, over here for your butt. And we're going to walk you back into the back room to get a blanket and the the thing is is that they do end up finding him different clothes, uh, which is one of her dresses, which George decides is a very nice butt flap. <laughs> we gotta okay, gotta pause here because I gotta backtrack. We gotta backtrack because now that that joke's made, I, I talk about another joke. When uh, Ursula finally makes it back to America, she calls her mom, and her mom is very worried about her health because she's been in the jungle, and implies that her area may not be 100% healthy after being in the jungle. Since we're talking about those kind of jokes at this point. Yeah, that is true. She does she does uh, question the health of her area, which is a very uh, interesting line of, of questioning. Especially for a Disney movie. Well, the interesting thing about her mom is that we want to talk about the the racism in this movie is that her mom kind of makes a thing that is not a racist thing into a super racist thing throughout this movie. It's more a classist than racist. It is more classist than racist, but she uses racially loaded terms throughout the movie. Did you notice that? Like, she keeps talking about, like, she does specifically say dengue fever and all at that point. Like, she's very concerned about her daughter getting dengue fever. But then at at certain points, she drops the dengue. And she seems very concerned about her daughter getting jungle 
fever. While she's in the jungle. And then when she brings a jungle man home, despite the fact that this is the whitest man that she has brought home, okay, um, she keeps saying, like, I've known women before and they run off to the jungle and, you know, they have their little tryst in the jungle and then they come back from the jungle and they... And it's very bizarre how often they that the mother keeps talking about good little women going off to the jungle and having, you know, trysts. With the locals? <laughs> With the locals. And I kept thinking, like, okay, Mom, this isn't a racial thing, but you're working really hard to make <laughs> this a thing. Um, and you're right. It, it's also a class, a class thing as well. Um, but the way that the mom keeps describing George and how George acts and where George comes from, it really sounds like they're trying to make a statement on an entirely different thing. So, um, so yeah, just just gonna say that. Um, so yeah, after after getting. Uh, George some new clothes. He, she takes her back well, to no, her place. Well, no, I want to go back to the clothes here because they make one of my favorite jokes in the movie, <laughs> which is that George puts on this very adorable frilly pink spaghetti strap dress, looks at himself in the mirror, and with the biggest grin says, this very nice butt flap. <laughs> And George immediately wanders down to the street and just happily wanders the street of San Francisco in his beautiful frilly pink butt flap. (laughs) And the narrator says, being more conservative of gender roles, (laughs) Ursula takes George shopping to get clothing that more suits her. (laughs) Which means that George is perfectly happy wearing this gorgeous pink spaghetti strap dress all over San Francisco. And it's Ursula's hang up that makes her go buy him an Armani suit. And uh, as the narrator says, he looks pretty damn good in that Armani suit. And he does, but he also looks good in the spaghetti strap pink butt flap. Can we just say? <laughs> yeah. He's like, Brendan Fraser is rocking that look down the streets of San Francisco. I just have to point that out. So Brendan Fraser can wear whatever the hell Brendan Fraser wants to wear. And I think it's important that we point that out. Um, okay, so after all of this. Uh, he takes her, he, uh, Ursula takes George back home, tells him to stay there because she has a meeting with her mother because she has to explain to her mother that she is no longer going to marry Lyle and that she brought home a jungle man. So, uh, and uh, this is a great, no, again, one of my, another great moment here with the narrator said, no walled male by modern man can hold George of the jungle. And then George just looks at the camera, not true. I'm going to do what Ursula said. I'm going to stay right here. For a little while. <laughs> well, but the, the, I love that the narrator's like, wait, really? You're you're just going to do what she tells you? Because at the time, that's the trope. Like, a woman told me to stay put? No, 
I am big manly man. I will do whatever I want. I'm not going to do what little woman tells me. But I like that George is like, nope, this is this is Ursula's world. I don't know what I'm getting into. If Ursula says it's the smart thing for me to stay here, I'm going to listen to Ursula. Well, he <laughs> did. This he, is her jungle. The way, like, she, the way she described her jungle as dog eat dog. She doesn't want he doesn't want to go see her, you know, yeah. A literal dog eating another literal dog, especially in his world, a dog is an elephant. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not want to see that, and I'm not bringing Shemp here. But I like that. I like how sensible George is. Like, nope, Ursula told me to stay here. She must have a good reason. I'm going to listen to her. Um, I think the at least for a little while is to be like, I know that the plot is coming. I think that's more of a fourth wall break. Like, I know that the plot's going to cause me to do this. But I like that that George is, he's sitting there, he's he's just eating junk food. Like, <laughs> it's like, this is my first day in the human world, and there's Oreos. <laughs> and, and, then he discovers, and then he discovers coffee. And also, who could blame him? Of course, he doesn't know how to make coffee, so he just, like, inhales coffee grounds because he sees a commercial of this loving couple drinking coffee and he believes well if i drink coffee then ursula will like me and want to be my mate yeah his mind that's this that's the key so he's gonna eat these coffee grounds and then he's gonna and he rushes out in a caffeine high but he rushes out because he sees uh, somebody in trouble oh yeah um, he doesn't break Ursula's idea because no, no, no. Of he, a whim. He doesn't do that. Yet. He's watching the news oh. and they're saying the weather. Oh yeah, yeah. The weather if, guy says if you're not out there, you get to, out there. You need to go outside because the weather is nice. And he says, "Who me?" And the weather guy says, "Yes, you." <laughs> so um, you know. He doesn't understand how TV works, so it's fine. Um, but as he's running around outside, that's when he ends up on the bridge and he sees that there's a paraglider in trouble and he decides that he needs to swing over there and help the paraglider. Ursula, meanwhile, is trying to... Um, Ursula goes to her father's job. Bank. The bank, That yeah. he presumably owns. And it turns out that... The entire bank is set up in a party congratulating her and Lyle on their engagement. And that they're setting up a big party at their house to uh, tell all of their social life friends that, that, that their daughter is engaged. And now to Lyle. to Lyle. So, yeah, now she has to. She, she still hasn't out. told them that Lyle is is in a prison in Africa for shooting. George. Yeah. She can't break it to her dad that, you know, that... Uh, she, she tries, but then she sees the news on the TV of George saving the paraglider. Well, that he's he's trying. He's climbing the bridge at that point, and she's like, uh-oh. So she's got to rush to the bridge because she knows George is about to do something possibly very dangerous. And she makes it there. She gets on a boat. I love that they play the um, the beginning of Don't Rain on My Parade because she's got the Barbra Streisand look of being on the boat. I like that she just walks up to a random dude and says, I need to get on this boat. And apparently the other half of that scene is 
Okay, random blonde woman, whatever you say. <laughs> Rich blonde woman. She has money. Well, yeah, but she I probably mean, flashed a couple of do- a couple hundred dollar bills and got it got it done. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Um, but we we never see that, so it just kind of looks like random blonde woman walks up and says, you know, do whatever I say. They just do. Um, maybe yeah. that's how it works for blonde women. I don't know. I've never been blonde, but blonde women gotta be rich. <laughs> I've never been rich either, so I wouldn't. But yeah, so George saved the paraglider by having him slide down the, the rope he's, he's used that to the ground. The wind picks up, and George, with the, with the parachute just flying out, lands on the tugboat, crashes into it, as it were. And then um, her and uh, George and Ursula have a nice little embrace because he's okay and everybody's fine, which Yay. is caught on the news camera, which is seen by her mother. Yeah, and, and finally, Ursula ends up at her parents' house with with George before the party, and she finally says, like, hey, look, Lyle is in a jail in Africa. He is not going to be here at the party tonight. And also, he's a horrible person, and I don't want to marry him. Um, I I brought George back with me, and he's a very nice guy. And they say, No. No, and her her mother says I can force you to marry whoever I want, um, which is kind of a funny scene. Basically, you know, we're gonna get Lyle out of jail. We're gonna get him back here, and you two are gonna get married because they say so. Yeah, we are rich, and you will do what we say. Um, so the party is going ahead. Uh, as this, wait, hold on. as this is happening, this is uh, the poachers are released from prison or deported, as the as the guard says. And they immediately go after the uh, ape again, shooting him with the tranquilizer and putting him in a case to take him to Vegas. And uh, uh, Tukey is sent to America to find George to help save ape. The the parents end up meeting George. They agree to let him be at the engagement party for some reason. Uh, But... They tell Ursula, like, no, you're telling people you're marrying Lyle. We will have this engagement party. We will tell them that, you know, Lyle is sick or under the weather or something. Um, the wording and, that, the, that the mother says is handling some legal affairs. Ah, yes. Um, he is because he's in jail. <laughs> yeah. But uh, all of their socialite friends are at the the party. And including the then mayor of San Francisco, who yep. plays himself. Willie Brown, <laughs> the mayor of San Francisco. Uh, which is very, uh, very strange, but you, you get that sort of thing now and then in films. Um, and there is a very funny little, hey, that guy moment in this. As George is wandering around the party, he does talk to... Um, an actor who I kind of went, hey, that guy. And then I said, well, why do I know that guy? Um, you Star Trek fans might remember an episode of Next Generation called The Drumhead, which is about a half Vulcan who ends up being persecuted because they discover that he's actually half Romulan and lied about his heritage in order to get into Starfleet. And Picard has to give one of the greatest Picard speeches of all time to be like, are we going to persecute this man for his, you know, mother's 
heritage or whatever it was. And all and the guy who played that character is in here for about 20 seconds as a dude who talks to to George and says like where are you from and George says the jungle and they were like oh yeah we interned in New York City too yeah real jungle out there it yeah <laughs> so I had a real kind of like wait a minute <laughs> so um that's funny but this has such a sweet scene where George gets bored with the party and goes outside and discovers that Ursula's parents have horses. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's out there in a in his white Armani shirt that he's unbuttoned now so you can see his chest. And they have a whole scene which I I called if Fabio was hot. <laughs> Because it's like Brendan Fraser styled like Fabio, but hot and all running around a field with a horse. While every while Ursula and her socialite friends are just in awe of George with these horses. One of whom was actually Brendan Fraser's then wife. Hmm. Or maybe soon to be wife. I can't remember if they were married at at that time, but uh, the the woman who uh, he would eventually marry and uh, be the mother of his kids, um, she's she's one of Ursula's friends in that lineup. Um, but yeah, uh, there's there's a whole line of women, and they're just like Ursula. Where did you find this man? He looks so amazing, and you know. Um, and right, Ursula is, just this, talks this is, about how wonderful George is. Yeah, like I said this is kind of the part where Ursula starts to fall for George because he's just a good guy. He may not be a book smart guy, but he's the sensual intelligence is the term that Ursula uses. Well, I think one of the other the other women uses that, but yeah, but Ursula actually does say that it's it's not that George is a, unintelligent. You know, he's not educated in the same way that you would expect had he grown up in San Francisco. You can see the way that he's interacting with the horse and, you know, the people around him. You know, he's. uh, And Ursula realizes like this, this is actually really is the man that I want to be with. But. When they go home after the party, or no, at the party, shortly after that scene, Ursula's mom comes up to George and she makes it very clear. She says, you know how in the jungle where you're from, leopards marry leopards and tigers marry tigers. Stripes stay with stripes and spots stay with spots. Ursula is a stripe and you are a spot and I am going to wipe you out. And George says, so you don't want Ursula to be with me. And she says, there is no way you are going to be with Ursula. And, and, she, and he, I love the line that she delivers. If if he even considers ruining this uh, wedding between Lyle and Ursula, that she would remove the reason he wears a loincloth. Once again, another another reference to the area. <laughs> And it's at this point where where Tukey comes back and tells George what's going on. 
Yeah, um, Ursula has, they've gone back to Ursula's apartment, and like we said, uh, George has been sleeping on the balcony. Ursula is asleep in her bed, and George is on the balcony thinking about everything that happened that night. When Tukey shows up exhausted, because he just flew in from Africa, and boy, are his wings tired. Um, And he tells... I do like, one moment here, I do like that... Upon close up, you see that George's George's has tears running down his face, but it's never impl- never really outright stated whether he's crying because he sees Tukey and that's his friend, or if he's crying because of what Ursula's mom just told him. Yeah, I always took it that he had been crying before Tukey showed up. <laughs> um, but but you can read it, you know, kind of however you want. I do I do like the kind of ambiguity, but. But yeah, Tukey tells him like apes in trouble, and so he goes inside and he takes off the uh, crocodile tooth that uh, we didn't really mention it, but Ursula he told Ursula that he wears a crocodile tooth for good luck, and Ursula gives him a ring she found in a cereal box when she was a kid that she wears for good luck. Um, so he gives her his crocodile tooth as Keep a goodbye present. Yeah. Uh, present and um. He leaves it with her as she's sleeping and he slips away in the middle of the night and he puts himself in a box and she mails himself, himself back back to Uganda. Um, and yeah, I he, like that when he gets there, there's all these little tick marks on the inside of the box of how long he's been in there. Um, and he says, uh, next time I'm going to get a bigger box. Um <laughs> And he puts on the biggest product placement in this film, which is a pair of Air Jordans. As if the UPS product placement wasn't enough. Yeah. Uh, but he puts on a pair of brand new Air Jordans and he runs his way all the way through the jungle back to uh, near back to the treehouse. Uh, meanwhile, the. Uh, Poachers have ended up back at the treehouse because as Ape tried to warn them, uh, Ape had switched all of the, uh, had set up a fake trail that was a, it said it was a shortcut to the river, but actually it was a really long trail that just wound around the mountain and ended up back at the treehouse. And even the, uh, even Ape is even telling him, oh, you should be nice to me. I'm your meal ticket. If anything happens to me, there goes your dreams of Vegas. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that at one point, they, the poachers say, uh, ask the, uh, the narrator if he knew that Ape was telling the truth. And the narrator says, yes. They said, why didn't you tell us? And he says, because I don't like you. <laughs> Which is one of my other favorite jokes. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, the the poach is having an argument with the narrator, and of course because he's the narrator, he starts screwing around with the movie, fast forwarding and rewinding their dialogue. <laughs> yeah, like, are um, you having a fight with the narrator? <laughs> yeah, I love the jokes between the narrator and the bad guys, where the narrator's just messing with the bad guys just because he can. Um. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Ursula is having another conversation with her parents about George leaving. Like, why would he leave without telling me? Only for uh, her mom to spill the beans that she had a conversation with George the night before about 
uh, he needs to go back to where he came from and Ursula should stay where she's from. Her mother says, oh, come on now. You can't marry someone just because you love them. And Ursula says, wait, did you say love? And the mother's going, no, no, I didn't say love. I didn't say love. And then her father just stands up and says, you go get him. You know, like, I like that the father's finally done with all this crap. She calls, he calls her a jackass. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think it's because that you finally realize through all of the mother's uh, complaining that either the mother broke up the father's true love or maybe the mother loved someone else. And, you know, the money. but yeah, but either way, it seems like Ursula's parents did not have a happy marriage. And maybe they're regretting it after all these years. So uh, maybe they've uh, at least the father has finally realized, like, oh, dear God, do not make the same mistake we did. Yeah, so she's going to go get her man as George makes it back to the treehouse and we get the big fight scene where George takes on the poachers. Yeah, and, and this uh, is, it's a pretty thought, good fight scene. We've gone into a completely different cartoon because now it's a Popeye cartoon. Yeah, it kind of is, um, but eh, better because it's got Brendan Fraser in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. A lot of there's a lot of good uh, silly stunt work in this, um, and this is you know it's very slapsticky and very goofy and that uh, if you like that sort of thing it's very fun. Mm. Um, uh, the animals get involved. There's a lot of using Shep's trunk as a machine gun to fire coconuts. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, Ape farts on them. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that bit less. Um, just personal taste, but you know, um, I I like I I like the the bit where they use Tuki as a a projectile, and he ends up stuck in the guy's butt, and we get the line of like, "Fella got toucan on can," you know. <laughs> it's, like, it, it's 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 goofy, you know, juvenile humor, but. I'll allow it, because um, it's delivered just so goofily and sincerely. It's just, uh, but you know, fun little scene. They they have a fight, but it looks like they've finally gotten George incapacitated, and all of a sudden you hear a jungle call, and it's Ursula <laughs> swinging in and smacking right the heck into a tree. <laughs> At which George happily exclaims, George, good teacher. <laughs> I just love how proud he is of her in that moment. Uh, and then she's about to say, George, I know something I have to tell you. There's something I have to tell you. Uh, can this wait? I'm, I'm fighting someone right now. <laughs> yeah, I love how her grand declaration of love has to be put off that, you know. Uh, but they they get the poachers settled and they're having a moment and then all of a sudden Lyle shows up out of nowhere so yes and we get quickly get a, a one sentence uh, explanation 
from the narrator that he has escaped from jail and that he's joined a cult and became their leader. Yeah, and Lyle is now an ordained minister and can perform weddings anywhere. And he's going to perform the wedding of him and Ursula right here. Well, uh, right over there, at least. He he wants to take Ursula over there where he's got a boat waiting and perform the marriage ceremony on the boat. So now we got to have a chase. <laughs> and now he... uh. And also, uh, Lyle now has mercenaries under his command, and they just tie up George. Yeah, and they're all German for some reason, because why not? Maybe they were also criminals in jail that he just kind of... Uh, it's all happened off screen, so whatever. Yeah, maybe they were part of the cult. We we don't know. We don't care. It's just, you know, it's time to wrap up this movie, and we had to do something with Lyle. There's 15 um, minutes left of this movie. we got to wrap this story up. <laughs> So, so Lyle ends up taking the fake quick route that that ape made up, but they end up uh, but um, and looks like things are going to go bad for George until little monkey that we saw earlier starts uh, sending out a message to the giant bongo waves that we saw earlier in the film that were that uh, when Ursula and George were dancing and we get teenage mutant ninja gorillas. <laughs> Yeah, uh, suddenly ninja gorillas show up and uh, fight all the mercenaries off screen because we don't have time for this crap. We gotta wrap this movie up. The budget doesn't call for this kind of effects. We gotta we gotta do this off screen. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, bongo grams always work, right? Yeah. So so the, so the mercenaries and the poachers are locked in the cage. And uh, time for time for the hero moment. Uh, Lyle takes uh, Ursula into a cave. They fall through the cave into a waterfall where conveniently there's a boat. It's uh, inflatable raft, but apparently that's the boat. Sure. And Lyle is is on his way to performing the ceremony. He's he's doing the short, short version like in Spaceballs, but he doesn't get to finish that ceremony because he didn't count on the rapids. So suddenly, Lyle and Ursula are going through the rapids, and George realizes he's going to have to do the biggest swing of his life, and boy, is it going to hurt. But he has to do it if he's going to save Ursula. <laughs> like I said, George is a guy that will sacrifice himself for a good cause. And I love this final swing because it is so silly. Um, you get the airplane sound effects, the wind machine right on Brendan Fraser's uh, Fraser's face. <laughs> yeah, and his, you know, and you know that there was just some guy with like a leaf blower just off screen, you know, blowing his face back. Um, but he smacks into this huge tree, leaves a big George-shaped impact print on the other side of it and it falls over the uh river and george is able to pull ursula to safety and lyle ends up going over uh, unfortunately he doesn't die but he ends up in a cave with a gorilla and just are, in a cave yeah in, in a cave 
He ends up with a gorilla. He performs the marriage ceremony. So now uh, Lyle is legally married to a gorilla. Ha ha. This is like the only joke in the movie that doesn't work for me. Uh, whatever. Moving on. We got yeah. 10 minutes in this movie. We got we to gotta wrap this up. So uh, George and Ursula confess their love for each other. We we fast we we uh, cut to the wedding, a jungle wedding, king and queen, and we see all of Ursula's social life friends there. We see all of the uh, we see Ursula's uh, guides there, with, presumably with their own wives, because there's women next to them and all all dolled up. Yeah, and uh, all of the animals in the jungle are on George's side. <laughs> Because There's humans what? on Ursula's side and just all of the animals on George's side. Um, it's it's a really adorable uh, scene. I kind of like the wedding scene. It's and, really uh, and, and, and the and the animals are working the wedding because we got you know uh, a chimpanzee bartender. We got a we we got Shep as the ring bearer. Or no, we got Tuki as the ring bearer and Shep as the flower girl. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's it's really adorable and I like it. Um, they do the whole uh, wedding. Uh, they have the the exchange of rings. It's really cute. They do the dance afterwards. Uh, it seems like the mom is finally uh not totally cool with it but whatever and she does make her thing of like can we get out of here you know all these gorillas are making me feel like jane goodall and we do finally get the the little stab from ape as he wanders up and says madam i knew jane goodall and you are no jane goodall fast forward a little bit and we see that george and ursula have a son now George, George Jr. Jr. Yeah. Who also smacks into things. This time a railing in the treehouse, but they're proud of him anyway. Um, and we get the final uh bit to remind you that this is a Disney film, as George and Ursula find themselves on top of Pride Rock and hold up George Jr. for all the animals to see and bow to him as their future king of the jungle. Yeah, we get the Lion King ending. Yeah, uh, literally the Lion King ending. Not That's just, I mean, literally they are on top of Pride Rock. This is the actual animation. And that is um, where the main movie ends, but we get a mid credit scene? Well, it's like a point three seconds into the credits scene, but yeah, sure. Where uh, where we find out that Ape has indeed gone to Las Vegas and is a, and has his own show, and we get uh, John Cleese singing a disco-fied version of Frank Sinatra's "My Way." Yeah, which he which he does kill, and I, I must say. <laughs> Yeah, and there's all kinds of showgirls around, and Max and Thor are even in the tree that some of the performers smack into while dressed as George and Ursula. Well, they are part, of, I guess, you know, they are part of the show, apparently. Yeah, they don't seem too happy about it, but... Yeah. Um. So, yeah, uh, George of the, George of the Jungle... How how we rating this one? I'll let I'll let you uh, go first on this one. 
All right, I'm uh, I'll, I'm going to say this. This movie is goofy. This movie is stupid, and I love it. And I love it because this movie is not afraid to be what it is. This is an adaptation of a cartoon, and this movie is not afraid to be a cartoon. This movie kind of reminds me of the new Suicide Squad movie in that the new Suicide Squad movie is not afraid to be a comic book movie. It's not afraid to dig to jump into the silliness of comic books. And this is not afraid to jump into the silliness of cartoons. And still making it work. It's 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 still it works for me. This movie is is it's really is a live action cartoon and it works so well. So you're going magic. I'm gonna say that Joy the Jungle has the magic. I am going to kind of uh, agree with all of that. I was really shocked at how much fun I had watching this again. You know, we go back to a lot of these things that are so nostalgic for us as kids, especially the comedies, and we always have to go like, oh, we forgot how problematic this was. Oh my god, not a single problematic joke in this, was there? Except for the marrying of the gorilla. I mean, I'm not even sure that's problematic. It's just like I don't really know what the joke was. I'm not I'm not sure it was really a funny joke. I mm. I I'm not even sure I'd label that problematic as just not funny. Mm. Um but, like, this, this to me, all the jokes still made me laugh. Uh, we didn't even get into a lot of the humor just because, you know, really it's like dissecting into, a frog. Yeah, yeah they don't really, a lot of them are visual gags, and they don't really translate into a discussion about them. Yeah, um, so this is a hilarious movie. But you have to experience it. Like, we can't tell you. Just trust us. This is a funny, funny movie. Um, the jokes still worked all these years later, um, especially if you liked if you liked things like Rocky and Bowinkle and Dudley Do-Right and the original George of the Jungle cartoon. It's exactly that kind of humor. If those things made you laugh, this will make you laugh. And it still works all these years later. Um, and it does have a plot. It's not just mindless. It's there is a plot here. It's not a great plot as far as like, you know, I'm not going to be writing academic papers about this thing, probably. But, you know, there's enough of a plot to hold it together. Unlike some of these films, um, the acting is is good for what it is. It's um, as in the actors give themselves to the part. The actors are willing to be these caricatures, mm -hmm. um, especially Brendan Fraser, who had the most difficult part because it's so easy to go like, oh, this is such this can be a role where you feel embarrassment. And we talked about that before, you know, it's like, you know, it, that had to be really difficult. It's like, well, you're going to be in a loincloth for 90 percent of this movie making goofy faces and saying the dumbest lines but he just kind of let it be what it was going to be and it works so well and you just love him for it it it's 
just so fun. I had so much fun watching this again. This was a great birthday present. All right. I think that's all we can say about George of the Jungle. So go go watch some Brendan Fraser movies, everybody. Yeah. Seriously. I'm I'm not kidding on that. It's it's this this really this really I just wanted this to be a love letter to Brendan Fraser. Go go take part in the Renaissance. <laughs> it's just it's all I want. If you give me a birthday present, let it be that. Go watch some Brendan Fraser. Damn it. Uh, let's move on. Next week, uh, we are doing our friend Heather Holloway's request for the Swiss Family Robinson, the 1960 Disney version. Well, we're going to be back in a jungle and back with more animals. And a treehouse. <laughs> and a treehouse. So let's we, see how that goes. We got a theme going here. <laughs> let's see how that goes. And we will talk to you all then. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. <laughs>